Hi, I'm Kat Holbrook, cook, lover of all things British and host of The Doorstep Kitchen. Welcome to the first ever episode of this podcast, where we'll celebrate the best of British food and drink. Each week I'll be chatting to someone that inspires me by cooking or producing delicious things on our doorsteps. We'll also hear from our expert forager Imogen Davis on what delights you can find right now, and I'll be sharing some of my favourite recipes which I hope will inspire you. Coming up in this episode, I chat to James Chase of Herefordshire-based Chase Distillery, give you some ideas for using wild garlic, and Imogen discusses the joys of nettles. So let's get started with today's show, where I'm diving into my chat with James, head ambassador for the family-run Chase Distillery, who make incredible spirits. So James, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You can make vodka from anything really, but you make yours from potatoes. What do you think the potatoes give? Well, my family have always been incredibly passionate about using the the, the humble spud. Um, and I think it always really comes from being based in Herefordshire. We've always believed that whatever we've gone on to, you know, produce or, or make should be from the ingredients that grow particularly well in that area. And Herefordshire, I think, has always been, you know, immensely powerful when it comes to growing potatoes it's you know rich red fertile soil and you know the perfect kind of environment matched with a lot of rain from the UK that you know that enables us to to grow good potatoes so that's that's kind of a main reason why we've always chosen the chosen the potato but in terms of what they give to our spirits whenever we try our spirits I always get people to taste them neat we've always believed that potato provides unrivaled quality and um, it's the smoothness and creaminess that kind of really gets me every time. And my favourite serve in a, in a vodka martini is uh, is, is straight up, yeah, you know, straight up in a, in a in a dry martini with an Amalfi lemon twist. And this kind of creaminess, viscosity, and almost like buttery mashed potato is, um, yeah, it's just it's just the best for me. Is there a specific type of potato that you use? Um, do you think you know the quality and the taste will differ depending on the type of potato? Absolutely. We, we use varieties, you know, like um, Lady Clare and King Edward. These are varieties that traditionally my, my family have been farming for, for generations. But they, um, they're very important that they provide a high dry matter, high starch content. Prior to this, we actually used to make um, crisps. We started a crisp brand called Tyrrells. And uh, it was because these potatoes were so good at frying that eventually led us on the path to, to go on to distilling them as well when... You know, when we had a huge surplus of wonky spuds or too small for, for frying, that's when we decided to, to build the distillery. Yep. So you mentioned your family business um, and you've been farming potatoes for generations. So um, it's your dad, William, isn't it? And your brother as well? Yeah, my brother, Harry, um, very passionate about family businesses. I think um, uh, they can make you laugh and they can make you cry. Um, but ultimately, you know, they, they mean everything. And yeah, we all have a different role to play. My brother heads up the farm. Kind of my, my dad is a big driver for us and he's got an amazing amount of energy. And then um, I probably have the easy job of going around drinking in all the bars. Well, that's probably what my brother thinks I do. But um, <laughs> yeah, so um, no, we're, we're, we're greatly part of it. And not just the family itself, but the whole culture and the business is very, very family orientated. So you're um, mainly on the kind of client-facing side, am I right in thinking that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, everything from in the early days, you know, when you're starting a business, doing doing everything, but, but very much now is, you know, making sure that our message is um, told. And I'm, you know, I'm very fortunate 
obviously before this virus broke out to to travel all around the world and you know educating lots of bartenders about you know why we're so unique in our field to bottle practices um and then also hosting tastings um and trainings i'm actually doing a virtual tasting next thursday and we're doing about 300 people uh, tickets are being sold um and they've actually they're pretty much sold out um within three hours which has been amazing that's brilliant so what um people order like a little chase tasting pack with um kind of a sample of different you know different spirits yeah definitely so it's um it was 30 pounds and they could they with that pack they got six miniature bottles of kind of our hero uh gins and vodkas um and then through zoom um i was teaming up with um a very well-known bartender called merlin who was on um i don't know if, if you've seen it but um first dates and he's the bartender oh, yes. in, in first dates <laughs> so um I obviously didn't want to bore through everyone the, the whole thing, so um, I kind of go through a virtual tasting and how our spirits are distilled, and then Merlin will kind of round it off with it with a cocktail and with a bit of banter thrown in between. It was um, yeah, they've they've been really fun actually, and kind of changed the way that you know that we might do tastings tastings going mm. forward. So you said you know you're lucky enough to kind of travel all over the world and you sell chase you know all corners of the world. Um, any particularly interesting places or places you're very proud of that that you sell to yeah I think it was always you know when we started in 2008 you know my father's kind of vision to to make sure that we were focused just on the very you know best places we can find around the the world and chase now is you know is available in all four corners of the globe and still being an independent business that's you know that's some mean feat we're distributed in over 40 countries um but but America for me has always been my kind of heartland and uh, I, I love I love America. I love the service and the positivity. Um, so there's mm-hmm. some some great bars and yeah. I was um, over the last couple of years. I've actually been spending a lot of time living in America and based out of Chicago. I would um, I'd, I would kind of drive our distribution there forward. Uh, my time there's probably prematurely been put on hold with with coming back home with everything um, that's going on now. But but America for me is you know it's fantastic. Um, so yeah, you've come back home because of the great coronavirus that struck us all. Um, how has sort of business been during lockdown for you guys? Look, it's, it's yeah, it's been very tough, and it and it kind of literally came on very suddenly with the government's um, focus on on getting people to stay at home, which which is absolutely spot on. Um, so we've had to adapt the best that we can do and. Yeah, it's great being a relatively smaller business that we can we can turn the ship very quickly. Um, and one of the first kind of projects that we set our hands on was to to make sanitizer. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of distilleries now making or making sanitizer in that way, but you know, one of our really unique you know unique points at Chase is the fact that we distill from scratch, which means we make raw alcohol out of those those potatoes. You know, a lot of distillers continue to just buy alcohol in, which is you know, which is okay, but but going into the sanitizer was a lot easier because we made alcohol from scratch, mm. and it was that you know the balance of you know making the sanitizer available, and you know up, up until now, over the last month, we've probably given away about thirty thousand units of sanitizer to to local healthcare workers in the NHS within the Midlands and police forces up and down the country. So, yeah, it's been a, it's been a huge challenge, and I really take our hats off to the distilling team who have turned around the project. We've you know we've searched how to make hand rub, hand sanitizer, do it to the World Health Organization formula. Mm. And it's been, a, it's been a hell of a project. Yeah, so apart from that, our, and our online business has been great. Our direct-to-consumer has been 
fantastic and, and I'm really kind of encouraging making sure that we're communicating with all of our community as much as possible and um, yeah it's been great to see the love for Chase at home and if you just google there or go on social media and hashtag Chase at home it's been great to see so many people uh, put up photos of their cocktails at home. Yeah that's brilliant I, I can imagine you you really see that like loyal customer base um, at, at a time like this who are like, okay, we're in lockdown, like we need our vodka martinis <laughs> or we need this. Um, and, and they come straight to you. Absolutely. I think, um, I think a, you know, a sign of a brand's kind of strength is, you know, is their direct following. And we've always, since we started in 2008, had an online web shop that we, we sold direct to people. And over the last 10 years, food and drink companies have really exploded. And I think the ones that are going to go on and, prosper really well are the ones that you know work and deal directly with their you know their consumers mm. um, because people you know, ultimately love buying direct from a brand and buying direct from a farmer that's often been overlooked I think is even is even cooler and something that you know that we've seen really rise over the last month I think veg boxes are going ballistic at the moment because people totally. want to have that connection mm. with a with the raw producer yeah absolutely and you can visit your farm as well can't you yeah, definitely. Obviously not at the moment. But, no, well, um, not at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, so I'm doing lots of virtual tours at the moment, if you can check those out on our social media pages. But um, yeah, we do tours seven days a week. We've got wow. an immense, a really cool tour team who um, who are so passionate, not just about the distillery, but about Herefordshire in, um, you know, in, in total. We think it's our, the UK's version of Nashville. And you know, it's not just about selling what we do at the distillery, but also the community around um you know around us um so yeah any of your listeners i'd love to to get them out to herefordshire and show them show them our our, our fields and, and stills yeah lovely um so you have some brilliant british flavors like marmalade vodka english rhubarb vodka hedgerow elderflower gin um these are just so quintessentially british i love it um have you got a favorite um yeah that there's always um t- depends on the occasion and i'll our stable of products is is continually growing, and um, we love that because we, you know, we're always innovating and trying trying new spirits, and we're never afraid to try something. Um, at the moment, I, I've been particularly loving this elderflower hedgerow gin that that's just become in season now, and we do these kind of seasonal limited edition releases. Um, and elderflowers grow in abundance in all the hedgerows in the UK, and hedges. I did a bit of looking into this, and hedgerows are some of the most amazing. Um, amazing things not many countries have hedgerows that split up fields and I think they were put in place in like the bronze era but um, they kind of split up parishes but it's it's an area or a place where elderflowers absolutely thrive and and this gin based off our GB gin is really kind of juniper forward but you've got this kind of beautiful honeysuckle elderflower coming off across and the thing with our gins is not just to you know keep going drowning them with tonic it's to mix them up and that elderflower you know gin works beautifully with soda water yeah, I can imagine. Um, so your gin, there's something special about your gin, isn't it? Because it's actually made from the farm itself. It's a single distillate gin. Can you just explain a little bit about that and how would you get to that elderflower gin? Yeah, awesome. It's um, something that we've we've constantly, you know, flown the flag for is this kind of field to bottle mantra. And one of my favourite chefs in the world is a lady called Alice Waters, who started a restaurant in California called Chez Panisse. And her her big her biggest um, I talk about it like I've been there so many times I've never actually been there but <laughs> you have um, to go. Um, yeah but um, her kind of biggest saying was the closer you are 
to the source of your food and drink, the better it is for us and this environment. You know, originally we, we started the distillery to make potato vodka. And a couple of years later, we went on to redistill that to make our gin because gin by definition is simply a redistilled vodka that's been flavoured with lots of botanicals. So yeah, we, we, we get our delicious potato vodka. Um, we redistill that to make our GB gin, which is made up of 10 botanicals. But when we do that, that, that distillation, we actually add in fresh elderflowers, um, which then add in the kind of the base notes of the, of the taste. And then we do a, a maceration with um, with cold press elderflowers. So we we get that um, we get that delicious liquid from the elderflowers. We macerate, uh, add in a small small bit of sugar just to just to even out the bitterness. And then you kind of get this lovely kind of pale straw like hue color to the to the bottle. Um, yeah, it's it's delicious. Brilliant. Um, so summer's approaching, and you've got you know, your, your elderflower gin and, and lots of great products. Have you got any cocktail recipes up your sleeve that would be great for summer? <laughs> I've always got cocktail recipes up my <laughs> sleeve. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm quite obsessed with pink grapefruit at the moment. And I love like a Paloma, um, which is kind of a riff on a, you know, tequila based cocktail, but, but using our, our pink grapefruit gin, pink grapefruit juice, uh, really kind of thick squeeze of lime and then loads of ice. Uh, shaken up in, into a tall glass is is beautiful, and uh, I had a spritz the other day um, with our with our, just our marmalade vodka, and um, that was served long with with a bit of Campari um, topped off with soda water in it in a wine glass, which is beautiful. But yeah, we've got loads more recipes on our websites and um, our kind of Instagram have, have kind of got quite a few cocktails that people have made at home, which has been really inspirational to see. But um, yeah, I'm always looking for new ideas if anybody has them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can make quite a good breakfast martini from your um, marmalade vodka. Oh, yeah, now we're talking. That's um <laughs> yeah, that's that's delicious and originally I think the original recipe was with with gin, but our, our marmalade vodka, yeah, lovely shaken up. And ma- breakfast martini at any time of the day is acceptable. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And have you ever kind of cooked with them? I'm not sure whether you can like marinate um, ingredients with them. Yeah, I mean, I I love salmon, and um, we we make a very small amount of this um, smoked vodka, where we really just smoke water in a smokehouse, and we blend that back with our potato vodka. Um, but if you just cure a you know a side of salmon in in this smoked vodka. Uh, it takes on all the flavour. It keeps them incredibly moist, and the alcohol cooks the, you know, kind of gently cooks the, the salmon through, and that's that's delicious. Served, served thinly, but so you get the smoke flavour through, and you kind of get mm. this, not gravelax quality, but you get, um, yeah, this uh, this 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 amazing kind of texture and feel coming through off the salmon once it's been been sat in the vodka. Uh, that's that's delicious. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, so the smoked vodka, is that a limited edition thing or, or just something you do in a small batch? Just, yeah, in incredibly small batches. Um, so, I mean, a lot of bartenders really geek out, out on it because it's delicious in a delicious in a Bloody Mary. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, dirty martini, it works really well. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely, lovely tasting spirit. One of our rare finds in the cabinet of curiosities. <laughs> yeah, totally. So what's next for you then, James? Gosh, we are always on to new things and looking at what's new. Um, from the distillery side, we're really interested in uh, the, you know, the wellness 
space. That's very hard angle to come across with the with the distillery. But I think consumers and our following will will constantly re re look at their sugar intake, um, and it's coming up with serves and solutions that um, that that could be put into that that space. We are aging a lot of things on the farm, so we've got a great barrel program on at the moment. Um, Ollie and the team are are aging a few whiskies in the distillery, and we've got these amazing honey pots with different temperatures, uh, highs and lows. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see by the end of this year, hopefully, that we can get our first release of, of whiskey away. Oh, really? That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And then at the top part of the farm, um, Dad's built uh, his own little wellness sp- centre, as I call it, um, where he we have these some of the oldest apple orchards in, in Herefordshire, and we are making um, cider vinegar. So we've restored old school practices with an acetifier, and we're turning these um, these old kind of apples into apple cider vinegar, which is booming at the moment with pickling and, and curing and experimenting. And so we're making Willie's apple cider vinegar, which is a, you know, a sister business to Chase. And it's kind of complementing the, the kind of no or low movement of, of not drinking. Yeah. Um, and we've also put that into a can, so a natural energy drink, and then um, which is basically a posh appetizer. And then into a range of like shots, we've got turmeric and apple cider vinegar, and we've got beetroot and apple cider vinegar. So they're really great and good for your flora, fauna, and all of the above. I can pretend to know exactly <laughs> the science into apple cider vinegar, but um, but um, my granny's been you, taking it for like, years. It's good yeah. for you, exactly. <laughs> um, good for your gut health, which is you know so important. And um, <laughs> so all of your products use um, British ingredients, obviously coming from the humble potato. What do you love about British ingredients? I think we've we've got these amazing seasons, um, and I think it's great a great place to live because you've got, you know, the sun. You've got well, I say sun. Sometimes you've got mm-hmm. the sun. You've got the rain. You've got snow. You've got winters. You know, you've got the springtime that we're going through now, which everything's bursting through. And I think it's so great in the UK that you can really eat the seasons. So I think it's just the varied choice of of crops that you can have throughout the year. Um, you know, which makes it such a great place to kind of source from and choose, you know, choose different, um, different, different tastes and, 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 and ideas for, for making constant new recipes and, uh, and dishes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you got a favourite kind of ingredient right now? Um, as every episode, um, I'm going to create a recipe um, for the listeners and then, yeah, I'll base one off you, off your, your chosen ingredient. Um, oh, awesome. Um, a chosen ingredient. What am I enjoying at the moment? I particularly like um, wild garlic as it's popping through at the moment. And I'm being awash with stories online of people making wild garlic chimichurri at home. And I think, um, yeah, it's very much found in what well, alkaline soils. So we find it a lot around Herefordshire. And, uh, but in the Cotswolds, you can find this amazing wild garlic flower every year and, and grow. Whether you'd w- probably want to put it in a cocktail um, I would I would second guess on that. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll go for um, more of a, a dish than a cocktail <laughs> with the wild garlic. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's just so many people are seeing this now and they're exploring what's um, what's in the nature's diary. You know, what's coming in season and what's going for it. And people are, are experimenting. It's not just all banana bread. People are venturing into other areas. <laughs> Incredible. Well, there's so many yeah, so many exciting things coming up for you. Um, and I'm glad that's you've got your hand rub and, and you're doing well um, at these tough times um, it's been really lovely to speak to you thank you so much for your time Kat thank you so much for chatting with me 
So James is really loving wild garlic right now and I couldn't agree more. The season is almost over though, so get picking. The wild garlic capers are coming out and these are the plant seeds that pop up once the flowers die back. They're bright green and look a bit like peppercorns. They are wonderful pickled and make great additions to salads and soups. To do this, you just need to pick a handful of the capers, enough to fill a small jam jar and wash and pop into the sterilized jar. Then make a simple pickling liqueur out of 100 mils of vinegar, 100 mils of water and 50 grams of sugar. Bring to the boil and stir until the sugar has dissolved and then leave to cool. Once cool, add a pinch of salt and I love the extra punch of pink peppercorns. So I add a tablespoon of these. Pour into the jam jar and seal, leave to pickle for a few days in the fridge before eating and that's it. You can find the full recipe if you want to revert back at doorstepkitchen.com along with a recipe for wild garlic pesto, which is super versatile and delicious. So do go check them out. Now we're moving on to speak to our expert forager, Imogen Davis from London restaurant Native. She'll be joining us every week. Hi Kat, I'm really excited to kick off our foraging series at this bountiful time of year. There's just so much around. One of the most enjoyable parts of foraging for me is how it makes me look differently at the world. So don't fret if you're living in the city like me, there's plenty out there to forage on your doorstep. The more you look, the more you find. Gathering wild food for free is not a new concept. For our ancestors it was a necessity and I was really lucky to grow up as part of a family where we would always make the most of every ingredient and utilise what the land has to offer. Yes, of course it's sustainable and minimal waste, but for me it's just a way of life. Today, I thought I'd kick off with an ingredient that I'm sure everybody has encountered and has a tendency not to forget, the stinging nettle, or the Urtica dioica. As with lots of forage ingredients, they are seen as weeds, but they're a great, flavoursome, nutritious green that's been used as a food source and medicine for centuries, with endless opportunity of creativity, which I've certainly been testing out during this period of lockdown. They've also been called the most nutritious plant in the world with really high amounts of vitamin A, C and D as well as a high source of iron and calcium. If you're into your alternative medicines, they're a great antihistamine so you can make a tea out of them so they help with allergies such as hay fever. Obviously they're all quite easily identifiable. It's important when foraging to always use the proper methods of identification for every plant just to be 100% sure. And if you're not, don't pick it. If you're just starting out, there's plenty of useful books and sources to help you as well as some handy apps. Just do remember to cross-reference and also take time to learn the plants. Seeing them at different parts of the year, from the young shoots to the flowers and the seeds, really helps to solidify that knowledge and then you'll be easily identifying hundreds before you know it. Um, another important element of foraging is the rule of thirds. So you can take one third leave one third for others and leave one third for the future. So never just take the roots, never take the whole plant. So back to stinging nettles. Identification, other than the obvious, those stings as you brush past them, they have coarse, jagged, zigzaggy green leaves and they can grow to over two feet tall. Um, they've got hairs on the stems and the leaves that are really easy to see. Um, and if you are going to cut them, they've got like a hollow stem. They're actually a really distant relative of the mint family. So their square stem is a good indicator to show that it's a member of the mint family. However, that doesn't always mean that member of the mint family is edible. It's just always a good thing to check. The backs of the leaves and stem is covered in those hairs that are responsible for the sting. But now's a great time to pick them. Um, they're really young shoots. So if you just take the top part um, and then they'll 
grow back and uh, yeah they're definitely not going to disappear anytime soon wear a good set of gardening gloves if you're going to go out picking some nettles but um if you don't have a pair don't think that that can limit it just wear a thick pair of socks on your hands and pop them on and um i've been known to do that before and they work just as well um, so just pick the freshest foliage at the tips of the nettle. Um, so when cooking, treat nettles like any other leafy green such as spinach and don't worry about the sting when you're cooking. It won't be passed on to your food. So depending on how you'll use them, you could plant them in hot water for about 30 seconds or even drying them, dehydrating them in the oven will eliminate the sting as well. I've been using nettles loads this lockdown. I've dehydrated some for tea. Um, I've used fresh shoots to make a nettle kombucha. And I'm also in the process of making a really luscious deep green dye. Um, I've got a bit of a lab going on at the moment. So whether that's going to be for food or fabric, um, yeah, who knows? Uh, nettle beer is a favourite in my house as well as a really nice and easy pesto with any other greens that are growing nearby. Um, so you just blitz them all up. We're big believers in what grows together goes together. So just try it out. Um, later on in the season when they're nice and tall I'm going to give a go at harvesting them to create a fibre. Um, it was historically used loads for clothing so maybe I'll be able to create some new aprons for the restaurant um, which would be great. I think that's enough for now for nettles but if you've got any questions then please do let me know and I'll be happy to answer them and I hope you enjoy creating some recipes that I know Kat has on her website. Enjoy! Thanks Imogen, that's brilliant. Yes, that's right. I have some nettle recipes on my website at doorstepkitchen.com. And if you want to ask Imogen anything, feel free to get in touch on email at doorsteppodcast at gmail.com. That's all for this episode of The Doorstep Kitchen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe as it makes all the difference. Next week, we speak to acclaimed Scottish chef Roberta Hall about her experience on this series of Great British Menu. And we chat about Scottish game, mushrooms and sea buckthorn. I'll also be giving you some asparagus recipes and Imogen will be back to speak to us about pineapple weed. See you next time.